Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. We are back for our new year with our new set of podcasts, and it's very exciting. We are starting with a book discussion, which has become one of our main staples here at the Tales from the Albright podcast, and we are with Brianna again. Hello, I love being here with you, Alyssa. Thanks, we enjoy having you, and it's very exciting. So this year, we are doing two different types of discussions. So I will be with Brianna every other month for a book discussion, and then with Anne, who also works in reference for a discussion of television series, movies, documentaries, visual media, and we'll have a much broader variety of things. Oh, yeah. So the book discussion today is The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. And what were your initial reactions to the book? I loved it. As someone who really loved Sherlock Holmes when I was in high school and then also really came to love uh, P.G. Wodehouse, I just really think quintessential British mystery is just such a fun read because they're simultaneously really intellectually engaging, but also often like kind of silly and fun. And I think that was, this book was just the perfect blend of all of that. I feel like I approached it strangely. Um... (laughs) Well, because I watch British panel shows and game shows very frequently. And by very frequently, I mean I have BritBox and I watch that instead of watching Netflix or anything else. Yeah, you're an Anglophile. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I knew Richard Osman from his appearances on like 8 out of 10 Cats and Taskmaster. And going into this book, I feel like my brain was, I need to figure it out because like I kind of got a glimpse into how his mind works through Taskmaster and like would I lie to you (laughs) and I'm like all right I'm going in with that lens and I feel like it was a bit of a detriment but not at the same time yeah that's fair I think that's two different perspectives because I went in having no clue who this man was and Alyssa sent me Taskmaster videos but I didn't realize (laughs) she meant that that was this man I just thought I was watching Taskmaster because Alyssa found it interesting so I mean it really is the best show but (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, no, it was him. Oh, okay. That makes so much more sense. Yes. Now. Okay. All right. Yes, now he's I see the one that brain. throws the shopping cart into the river. Now I see. Who's like okay. seven feet tall. I was like, oh, why is the shopping cart significant here? That makes more sense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That is so funny. So, in our copies of The Thursday Murder Club, which were published in 2020, they're the paperback versions by Penguin Random House. There are discussion questions in the back, which kind of makes our lives a little bit easier because we are just going to go through them since they're kind of the official questions for the book discussion. So the first one is, though the book follows four friends, Joyce, Elizabeth, Ibrahim, and Ron solving the murder, the only first person point of view is Joyce's via her diary. Why do you think the author chose to show her perspective in this way? So I took the literary-brained approach to this question, and I was thinking about how it just makes sense because Joyce is like, the if she's the only first-person point of view, we still get that first person, and we get to see through 
the actual eyes of someone there. But at the same time, mysteries tend to do better with third-person omniscient narrators that like know more than us or more than the characters. So I think it was a really great blend to have only like one first person and then the rest being told in the third person because we got a mix of that, seeing what they're seeing and then also seeing more of the big picture and like seeing snippets of characters that aren't one of the friends. So I thought that was a really cool balancing act. But also I thought it might have been because Joyce was the murderer. And then in the end, it wasn't. I was afraid maybe that was it. (laughs) Yes. And speaking of, I forgot to do this in the beginning, but we will have major spoilers for the book because the questions clearly reveal who the murderer slash murderers are in the Thursday Murder Club. So if you're planning on reading it and haven't already and don't want to know the murder, um, we suggest you go read the book before you come back and listen to this. Yes. Pause. Have a nice like seven to eight hour reading session yes. and then come back to us. <laughs> yes. But I also kind of got the feeling that Joyce might be the murderer too because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like Joyce in the third person sections quiet and seems like easygoing and going along with everything but Joyce in her diary I kind of just got this sense that she was like angry almost pushing against everything but being like oh I always went along with stuff so I might as well (laughs) um and that seemed to me to kind of signal something in my brain that I'm like oh we're not getting the whole story here yes and I think all of our characters have that little like questionable quality Mm -hmm. that makes you wonder and I think that's a really smart move on Osmond's part yes yeah I also I haven't looked into the other books but I wonder if it might switch narrator between books that would be cool um so when I eventually pick up the second one which is the man who died twice right I believe so. Let me double check the back of the book. (laughs) Yes, it is the man who died twice. I'm curious to see if it is still Joyce that is through the diary or if it's one of the other characters. I want Ron's diary. Her leader diary that's just like, fought some capitalists today. Also, we had Cheerios in the cafeteria. (laughs) I want that so badly. It would be very amusing. So I really hope it's something that happens. (laughs) On to the second question. Joyce was a nurse, Elizabeth was in the Secret Service, Ibrahim was a psychiatrist, and Ron was a trade union leader. Who do you think was most helpful in solving the crime? What strengths did each bring to the table? And what were their weaknesses? So I feel like they kind of contributed equally to solving the crime because they were all there in their Thursday murder club that took place. And I think they all had their own strengths and weaknesses. In my opinion, I know we differ on this, I feel like Joyce is the only one that figured out the real murderer overall, um, who was Bogdan, and he killed more people than I expected to have have killed, Mm -hmm. but... um, We got an extra murder thrown in there for, like, bonus. I didn't think... I thought we'd get one in the whole book, then we got three, and then there was a mystery fourth at the end. Yes, there were quite a few murders. And I didn't get the sense that the others seemed to know. They all seemed to be happy to just kind of go along with the story that it was Johnny that killed people and then John, and it was a whole thing. So I'm not exactly sure who knows that Bogdan killed Tony and killed Johnny. Yeah, I think the where the place that I differ, which I think I'll make a controversial statement is, I feel like this reverses the traditional dynamic and that I see the women as the leading force in this group. I feel like I, I could see how Ron and 
Ibrahim were great for this group, mm-hmm. but they were kind of just there. Like, they were, like, for effect. Like, Ron, when he, like, <laughs> causes a ruckus and stuff, like, it's, like, normally how women are the diversion. Mm-hmm. No, no, Ron's the diversion. Like, they have this... Like, they play a part, but I feel like Elizabeth and Joyce were our real masterminds. And that's why that I, is true. I would say, I agree with you. I know We know Joyce figures out that it was mm-hmm. Bogdan. But I also think Elizabeth would know. Because I'm like, she's just too in tune. And she figures out so much stuff before anyone else does. That I feel like they both know. And we just don't see her perspective to see that. But I think the two women are, are like, fearless leaders of the Septuagenarian squad. <laughs> No, I agree with that. But I also think we also see Elizabeth kind of being blinded by your past Secret Service experience when she goes to talk to Father Matthew and lays out how she believes everything played out. Mm. And it turns out that he was just in love with one of the nuns and she got pregnant and then committed suicide. And it was a completely different story. So I feel like it's set up that Elizabeth is like former spy who knows everything about everyone all of the time. But then we see her stumble a few times. So I'm not exactly sure. And Bogdan stopped talking to Stephen when she came in. Yeah, that makes you wonder too, though, because if you think about it, she also, like when she confronts Father Matthew, she's by herself so Mm -hmm. she tries that route and is wrong by herself however in the end when she's really right about it being her friends she Mm -hmm. brings everyone with her so i'm like it makes me wonder how confident she feels in her calls and whether that impacts how they approach each person that they sort of go after being Mm -hmm. like are you the killer yeah 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 i think ron played an interesting role because while he was kind of the emotional distraction he also (laughs) he also his emotions were like the strengths and weakness because i feel like one of his main motivating features was protecting his son yes and his son was friends with like tony and johnny and they always have the y sounds when they're part of a gang tony (laughs) and johnny and sounds like greasers or something yeah (laughs) but he was friends with all of them so ron was trying to protect him and i think that's where a lot of the emotional core was yes that's a good point and i like i like ron and ibrahim's characters Mm -hmm. like i think they both have really interesting perspectives and like roles that they play in the group so for the third question i'm going to provide some definitions because not everyone's very into british culture yeah please explain it to the rest of us yes (laughs) so pc is police constable and dci is detective chief investigator and they are just titles as in we have like captain okay and that so yeah when they said it she was like i'd like the pc in my name i was like i have no idea why this matters (laughs) so with that being said the third question is do you think that pc donna defrentis and dci chris hudson make a good team do you think donna was smart to stay in touch with joyce even though it was unprofessional at times why or why not what do you make of the relationship between the detectives and the septuagenarians So I think they make a good team. I think while it was kind of unprofessional for Donna to stay in contact with Joyce, if they wanted Donna to be a mainstay at the Thursday Murder Club, which they seem to want, it makes sense to set up that sort of dynamic. Um, I don't think she intended for Joyce to just send her updates on murders. (laughs) Yeah. And be Uh like, here's our case. But I think in the long run, it helped 
both of them because the septuagenarians can kind of just go outside the confines of what police can do legally. So they were able to go and just kind of do whatever they wanted, where the police have rules and regulations and procedures that they have to follow. Yeah, and I think it makes sense. Like, obviously, because it's fiction, it makes sense that they're able to get away with this and do this. Um, But I also just loved how fun it felt because it reminded me, as I was thinking about this question, actually, about how Sherlock Holmes and John Watson in the Sherlock Holmes Mm -hmm. mysteries are consulting detectives. So, like, they don't work for the official police. Uh, They help uh, Lestrade in Mm -hmm. uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stories. And it's sort of like they are, similar to the Thursday Murder Club, like an extra legal assistance team. And I think it's really cool to see that parallel sort of consultants, particularly since they have such a wealth of experience between the four of them. Like their pre-retirement lives are just so interesting and they know so much. And I think it, I know this is a later question, but it really mm-hmm. like makes us appreciate the wisdom that comes with aging, you know? Yes. Um, and I think Donna and Chris kind of butt heads a little at the beginning where He's just like, oh, it's the city lady. We'll try to give her a chance. And she's like, I have no idea why I moved to the country. I hate this. I want something exciting to happen. Yep, yep, exactly. She's like, I left London with my annoying ex-boyfriend. Why would I do that? That was a rash decision. (laughs) It's always a rash decision, Donna. (laughs) And I think it's nice how towards the end... Donna just, like, sets Chris up with her mom. I know! That was adorable. It was very cute. I liked their... I got nervous that they were going to start to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is a little weird. So then it was nice when it was, like, they got really close. But it was then, like, she in turn set him up with her mom. And they have, like, more of, like, the father-daughter mm-hmm. thing going on. And I like that a lot. Yeah. I yeah. think I just am always completely unclear of ages in anything I read. <laughs> yeah. So I... In my brain, they're, like very close in age so i was like oh that's a bit strange and i'm like oh no he's older yeah uh-huh significantly so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. question four joyce says i'm happy to be overlooked and always have been and i do think perhaps that will be helpful in this investigation do you agree what insights and advantages does she gain by not calling attention to herself and staying under the radar so i think this is how joyce views herself but i don't feel like this is how everyone else views joyce yeah, I, I feel like the questions play that angle in a way that I didn't think about being quite that much. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, because everyone around her seems to really appreciate her. Like, her daughter, like, really cares about her. And Donna, like, keeps in contact with her and isn't just like, oh, it's this person. Mm-hmm. And the group looks to her as kind of a stabilizing force, I feel like. Yes. So I don't think she's overlooked, and I think she just thinks that she is. Yes. But I think at the same time, the fact that she's the most soft-spoken of the group, which I think is the main way we see that. Like, Mm -hmm. when they're all together, I feel like she is the quietest, and, like, people draw her in rather than her going out of her Mm -hmm. way to say things, other than when she asks if, like, Chris likes her cake. Um, But she's very... I don't know. I feel like she's, like, a, a perfect underdog in that way, where it's, like... She sees herself as being, like, underneath Mm -hmm. everybody else. Um, But at the same time, like, since we get her first-person point of view in her diary, we get to see how, like, amazing her brain Mm -hmm. is and how it works. 
and she knows things like when Elizabeth first meets her and she's like, how long would it take someone to bleed out if you like stabbed them with a knife of this size? Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, how did she just go, mm, yeah, 45 minutes. Like, yeah, she's just so brilliant. And it's so interesting to see how her like softer intelligence, I feel like she and Ibrahim are the two mm-hmm. quieter ones. And then we have Elizabeth and Ron who are like the more forceful mm-hmm. charge, taking charge personalities in that sense. Being like the more quiet one in a group also allows her to observe and pick up on mannerisms and conflicts between what people are saying and what they're doing and that goes a long way in trying to figure out things and in context and noticing the tiny details yes and it makes her good at being part of the thursday murder club because in the end then when she's like i figure it was bogdan who like uh, killed tony but you know he's gonna replace my windows mm-hmm. so i'm just not gonna say anything yeah and it's like she's just so good at just like not needing to like loudly address mm-hmm. everything question five Society often writes off the abilities of the elderly, assuming both body and mind are deteriorating. At the heart of the Thursday Murder Club is a lesson to never underestimate this population. Who misjudges the residents of Cooper's Chase the most? What are the consequences of underestimating the four friends? So my first instinct is Ian Ventham. And I think he misjudges the residents of Cooper Chase because he just seemed like, in my brain, he had this like weird... Patrick Bateman from American Psycho thing going on with the businessman who like does not care at all and will do anything to get ahead and he was setting up all those shady side businesses to put in the low bid so he could like destroy the cemetery himself right yeah and I think he was just like oh it's a bunch of old people they're not gonna care or do anything yeah. and that's the sense I got and obviously he winds up dead so exactly that is the consequence <laughs> I mean, he stepped on too many toes, so that's what happens in fiction. (laughs) Touche. Touche. But I also think Donna and Chris misjudged them at first as well, because I think Donna kind of goes in, views them as kind of bored, older people that she's just going to give a fun presentation to and then go on her way and go back to her newly found boring country police job. Um, but then it just completely backfires and it winds up with her just getting involved in murders and them texting her details about the case and convincing her to give them details about the case. And Chris seems to have a similar approach where he just appears and then he's like just on a couch being like force fed cake, being yeah. like, tell us about the murder. Here's cake. Yeah. And they're very strategic in that. Scene. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That was intense. They're like, let's pin him uncomfortably in the seat and then give him tea and cakes so that he can't do anything to move. It's like so strategic. But I think unlike Ian, Chris and Donna do not die. And I think they kind of become close with the residents and they realize their assets and how they can help them with their police job. Yeah, I think they come to understand... It takes, see, I would argue it takes them a while because I think at first, like, they realize, oh, okay, so they're not just these bored older people. Mm-hmm. However, they're also like, y'all aren't professional investigators. <laughs> and so they spend half the book being like, stop doing that every time they do something. And my favorite scene of this, I love that scene where they're force feeding him cake as well. Mm-hmm. But my favorite is when um, the group uh, has Bogdan dig up the body um, and then. 
they take the bones from the grave to be evaluated. And Chris is like, do you know how illegal that is? Like, you can go to prison. And they were like, yeah. And then I'll just say to the prosecutor, oh, hey, it's my granddaughter. And then <laughs> just kind of pretend. So it's great how they use the stereotypes of older people uh, and just turn it on its head and mm-hmm. be like, oh, we're not those things, but we can play those things if we need to. And I think that is just my favorite example of them like showing their strength while playing to that idea of yes. that they're deteriorating. And that leads right into the next question of one of the recurring themes is the gray area between law and each character's moral code, which is what kind of that line is, is, mm-hmm. is it really moral to dig up a body, find bones, rebury it, do the same Three process. Times? Yeah. <laughs> and like send it out for testing on your own. It's just a weird gray area. But then question six goes on to, do you think Penny's husband, John, did the right thing? How about Penny? So John is revealed to be the main murderer in the book. (laughs) He murders Ian, who is our most irritating character. So we'll give him that. And Penny is in a coma, but she was formerly a detective, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. They were former friends of the Thursday Murder Club. Penny was involved. Um, but unfortunately, her health deteriorated, and now she's in a coma. And John John gives this whole explanation about why he killed Ian to preserve the Garden of Eternal Rest, which is the cemetery, to preserve Penny's good name, because Penny had killed one of the accused people from one of her crimes that killed her best friend. I am not a very, like, let's kill everyone person. (laughs) Well, that's good to know. Yeah. So you can come to the library and you can know that Alyssa won't murder you, at least. That's good to know. Yeah, no, I get it. Because I think think you're right there. And it's weird because I feel like in John's case, it felt a little strange to say he was protecting Penny when, like, nobody's going to arrest a woman that's in a coma. So, like, I didn't totally understand why he felt the need, other than, I guess, her good name. Um, maybe that mattered enough. As I was expanding on my answer for this question, I realized I have a lot of issues with John. Yeah, he has issues <laughs> he, with I feel like he also kind of has this like weird manipulative factor mm. where he's like, I convinced Penny we had to go here to help cover up her crime more yep. once she told me. And I'm like, if you probably didn't do that, like no one would have known yeah, it's like, like how his character. So the problem is you won't get this reference. Maybe someone out there would, which is that in Verity, which is the very popular Colleen Hoover book, it's a similar question about the main character mm-hmm. of like, even if she didn't do what we think she might have done, was she so messed up for like coming up with these thoughts? And like, it's more of a like, just how messed up is messed up mm-hmm. short of killing someone. So that, I think that's fair, a fair assessment of John. Penny, on the other hand, I think it's hard because obviously mm-hmm. you don't want to support murder, but hers at least had a, a significantly yeah. justifiable reason. Yeah, it was An like immediate that. justifiable reason. Yes. And with Penny, it, it's more of like, they even said everyone knew that he was the one that killed his girlfriend, which was Penny's best friend. Yeah. So you can see the thought process there. Right. You can go through and be like, okay. It's like a revenge killing, like that's more accepted. It's not like a cover-up thing's probably... Like, and Penny didn't have... She wasn't going to get better. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So I don't understand. I mean, 
it was good for the town that John killed Ian because it prevented the graveyard from being dug up, which would have had impact across the board on everyone. And just is a really awful thing to do. Okay, on to the next question. At any point, did you have an idea of who might have committed the murder? Who did you suspect and why? Were you correct? Um, I pretty much suspected every single person in this book (laughs) at some point or another. Yep. And then I know we were texting about halfway through. Yeah. And we kind of had a feeling. Yeah. We were like, it seems to be pointing to Bernard or the priest, who was Father Matthew. Mm -hmm. And... Then I feel like I was just sitting there, and I was like, oh, what about John? Yeah. But I think they called him, like, Liz's friend in a coma's husband, because yeah. I couldn't remember his name. Well, that's how they always are. It's like someone yeah. you've met, but that you don't remember enough to mm-hmm. find significant. That's how they do it in the mysteries. Yeah. Yeah. But then I, once we saw him again, I, like, put a square around his name and, like, wrote John in the margin. <laughs> and John. I just had a feeling that it was him since then, and that was right around the time. I think it was Joyce went in and started asking him about fentanyl, and he was like, yeah, I used it all the time when I was a veterinarian. And I'm like, why else would that be put in there? Yeah. I had a similar thought when I realized that they are sort of side characters that don't play a significant role, Mm -hmm. um, other than when Liz goes and is like just talking to Penny to talk through things. But Mm -hmm. like she also talks through things with everybody else. So it felt like there had to be a reason that they were Mm -hmm. featured in it and that we kept going back to them and seeing them. Like there had to be some kind of purpose there. With Bogdan, I wasn't surprised that he had murdered Tony. I was surprised that he murdered Johnny. Yeah, that was a shocker. I I knew he like didn't murder Ian because we see him elsewhere at that time. So I think that was very designed to throw you off. Yes. Like we're supposed to think it was all one person and mm-hmm. that makes it harder to solve it when it's three different murders <laughs> yeah. and three different culprits. I was surprised that Penny committed a murder. Yeah, very true. But we that. also, we, yeah. we didn't know much about Penny except that she was a detective and their friend beforehand yeah like we don't get to interact with her very directly Mm -mm. because she's in the coma so that's that is a really interesting way of of putting her in there um and we wouldn't suspect her yeah i know i think it threw it threw me a lot when there Mm -hmm. were multiple murderers that was me too (laughs) it was just really like hard to figure out then but i think like, I don't know. I think he did a good job with it. Like, the resolution, it all made sense. It mm-hmm. wasn't one of those where you're like, ah, oh, they're just throwing it together. No, like, it was good. I yeah. thought it made sense. It revealed everything, and it made sense. And, I mean, there's some questions, but nothing major. Yes. I also, I felt so bad for suspecting Father Matthew after everything came out. I know, but then again, he isn't totally innocent. No. Like, this was a young nun. Like, like it's one of those where I was like, I do feel bad for him. I'm glad, though, they did that cute scene at the end where it's like they put the baby's name on the, grave, yeah. on the gravestone and everything. And I was like, that was really sweet. So I do, I do have some sympathy for him there. I don't think anyone in this story is completely innocent. free and clear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's part of what makes them real, which mm-hmm. is nice. Everybody's got something. You know, even Joyce, who's like our perfect like mystery solver, is like my daughter always uh, back. Like she undercuts me, and every time I say something, yeah. she like everybody has like their issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, question eight: 
Joyce is always baking and the others are always eating. Next question is simple. What is the best cake? We completely differ. I completely, <laughs> completely differ. So I said in classic cake terms, yeah, yeah. vanilla with whipped icing. I'm in the minority. I know this. Most people don't like whipped icing. It's essentially my cousin and I. Everyone else is like, whipped icing is gross. So it's a whole conflict when there's birthdays. And I'm like, we just need whipped icing. I don't care. Yeah, that's a battle. It is. Your birthday is the time that you can be like, I want the whipped icing. <laughs> and then for like fancy cake, um, I feel like you can never go wrong with a carrot cake. You're such a Anglophile. Like what <laughs> carrot cake is their fancy cake? <laughs> I don't know. It's just. Oh my God, Alyssa. You're such a complex character. See, you belong in this book. Um, in, in counter by far to Alyssa's answers, <laughs> I would say chocolate cake, obviously. Chocolate is superior in all ways. Or if we're getting real fancy, real fancy, cheesecake. <laughs> Anything from the Cheesecake Factory. Or ice cream cake. But also just, man, do I like cake. I, so I would get behind your cake if it just meant I could eat cake. Maybe not the carrot, but the vanilla I could do. Um, ice cream cake is good. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Cheesecake, I feel like, isn't real cake. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a whole separate Alyssa. dessert. Oh, well, I feel like I love cheesecake. I just feel like it's not cake. The ones at Cheesecake Factory have cake in them. It's like often like the bottom half is cake and then it's cheesecake. Last question, which we took very different approaches on. Oh, yes. If you were to solve a murder, which three people could be friends, family, celebrities, would you choose to help solve it? I decided that we were going with celebrities for this podcast, just not to expose all of our friends and family to anyone that might listen to this. All right, Alyssa, so who are your celebrity picks? <laughs> okay, this is continuing with this trend. So the very first person that came to my mind, I was like, I need somebody who has excelled on Would I Lie to You. Yeah, okay. So I went with Victoria Karen Mitchell, who is David Mitchell's wife. David Mitchell, the comedian? Yes. Okay, because I like David Mitchell, the author, so that's a problem. <laughs> so, no, the comedian, the British comedian, okay. his wife, who has a poker background, just seems smart, seems like a very solid person, literally gets every single thing right on what I lie to you, trying to figure out if the other team is lying. It's great. Okay. So I'm like, her. And then the wild card here, Ryan Gosling. I feel like That's he's funny. just weird enough to be able to effectively solve murder. Okay. Um, I don't know anything about him other than the notebook. He's kind of just a weird dude. Okay, cool. We like weird. I just, I read this article with him one time and he gifted like a mini constructed haunted house to the re- interviewer. That's adorable. And it was great. And it's like one of my favorite like celebrity profile interviews of all time. Yeah. So I feel like he would be decent at solving murders. Also would get us into places because people know who he is true you could be like but it's ryan gosling and then they'd have to yeah. right yeah perfect so then i went <laughs> this is also very me i went with louisa jameson okay. who played leela in doctor who back with the fourth doctor so i feel like she would be good with bringing in like the solid older person perspective like compassionate aspect to it okay which also would very much help and i just feel like she's a cool person and that is all based off of behind the scenes interviews and the big finish doctor who audio (laughs) wow that's amazing 
All right. Well, mine is less in depth of an answer. I just decided I was trying to think, and I I recently ordered for the YA collection Maureen Johnson's newest mm-hmm. YA mystery. And I was like, oh, Maureen Johnson, she writes some good mysteries. So I decided to make, as the teen person here, I thought it would be fitting to make a YA author dream team, I mm-hmm. guess, because I love Maureen Johnson. She's a great writer, and she has a perfect brain for mysteries. So I thought she'd be great. Then I also love Dana Schwartz, who is originally like a historian history podcaster, um, who has a podcast called Royal, or no, Noble Blood, that's it. Um, and she has a great mind for research. She also wrote um, a YA mystery novel. So I was like, oh, she's got that perfect like research, history, like digging up the facts that would have helped us when we had Father Matthew and his uh, nun girlfriend. So like, I think she'd be perfect in that situation. And then lastly, I thought it would be fun to include Hank Green because I love the Green brothers. John and Hank Green are the best. And Hank Green is technically also a YA author. He wrote a YA sci-fi, sci-fi novel, but he is also a science nerd who is like big mm-hmm. into that community and he knows a lot about biology and chemistry. And I was like, that seemed to be the asset of our characters here is like the medical knowledge plus the like secret service mm-hmm. plus. So like, I was like, this is cool. So I made a YA dream team of all of the authors with their cool abilities. Yeah, I did see Hank Green on yours and I was like, oh, that's a good oh, choice. I love Hank Green. He's but I was committed to my weird chaos. Yes, it's they're fitting to us. Well, that's the end of our book discussion. Um, we hope that if you enjoyed listening to our discussion of the Thursday Murder Club and are inspired to read it, we do have copies within our collection. It is very popular, and so you might have to put it on hold. It depends on where it's at and how many people come, are reading it. Yeah, I saw it come back in the other day. So we've always got copies here at the mm-hmm. Albright. It's in the mystery section, but we have plenty in the county. Yes. New for this year, if you have a book suggestion for books that you think it would be interesting to listen to us discuss, please send them over because I feel like we just keep choosing random British books. Yeah, we're um, like, what would anyone like to hear about? Yes. <laughs> and those can all be submitted by calling the library or emailing me. My email is aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or if you would like to call, the phone number for the library is 570-348-3000. If you have anything else, stop in, feel free to talk to us. Um, Thank you for listening, and thank you for allowing us to have another year by listening. Mm